In our today's episode, we have Shane Ram. Shane is a former C-suite executive turned strategic advisor and coach to CEOs and entrepreneurs. He works with CEOs, senior executives, corporations, six, seven-figure business owners and entrepreneurs to increase revenue, become better leaders and live more fulfilling lives. He is the inventor of MetaB leadership technology, which is a neuroscience-informed, evidence-based process to rapidly create the desired leadership behaviors. He is the author of Future Ready Leadership, a book that provides the eight must-have strategies for leaders to thrive in an uncertain and volatile future. to be here and to have you with us in this uh, episode. How are you? I'm doing great, uh, Spiros. Thank you so much for the opportunity and I'm excited to uh, share this um, and obviously with, with your audience. I really do hope that they find uh, what we have to share today uh, beneficial to, to them. According to what we have already talked uh, by the time that we met each other, I'm pretty sure that uh, this will be a fruitful uh, episode. So. Uh, I will start uh, immediately with uh, our uh, with the first uh, question. Let's start with uh, what you what got you started with uh, VUCA and leadership and uh, the stuff that you involve and the services that you offer to your uh, clients. According, I mean, to your previous experience, where you uh, where you were before and how you came up. Okay, uh, great, great question, uh, Spiro. So I've, I've been involved in, in people development for over 25 years now, um, but, but in terms of what I do currently, uh, and specifically with respect to, to VUCA leadership, um, you know, couple, uh, 2019, I was asked to deliver an opening keynote address at um, a, a conference, a, a huge conference, mm-hmm. and they, they proposed a topic, you know, on future-ready leadership. And so I decided to, to, to look into that uh, a little bit more. But, but six months prior to that, um, there was uh, an intuition, so to speak. And I, and I do refer to intuition in, in the book itself, Future Ready Leadership, on, on Chapter 8, that leaders need to tap into that thing called intuition because, um, you know, information and knowledge is uh, so readily available that we, I believe that companies cannot any longer compete at that level of, you know, intelligence against intelligence. And you will find that some of the great leaders um, would have tapped into that intuition. You know, I'm sure Steve Jobs would have been very, very intuitive when they, they, they see what everybody else sees, but think what no one else think. Um, so, so that's what I felt in, in the mid uh, nine, uh, 2019, that where the world was going, that we just could not um, manage in the way that we have been managing, and something, um, you know, got a give, and uh, I, I could not predict COVID-19 at all, <laughs> but uh, something, uh, I guess everything is energy, and if you tap into intuition, you could uh, figure out uh, what's happening, what's going to happen. So, um, and, and the real catalyst for getting in, into VUCA was really that request to do that uh, keynote speech. Mm-hmm. And as I delved into the preparation for that uh, keynote, um, the, the whole concept of, of VUCA uh, came up. Now, it's not um, not necessarily a new concept, but uh, obviously reinvigorated a couple of years ago because of, uh, of the pandemic. Uh, I think the concept would have been first documented, that is VUCA, in, either in the 1980s or 1990s. So it's not necessarily new. Uh, but certainly very, very pertinent to the times that, that we are living in right now. So that really was, was the catalyst um, it, to, to do the work that I'm doing right now in terms of um, creating future-ready leaders. And, and the context is really that the future is VUCA. Yeah. And what are the 
tools, strategies, mindset that one needs to be able to, to, to thrive in that VUCA future. And that's really what I would have uh, you know, put down and, and documented in, in my book, Future Ready Leadership. Uh, it must have strategies for tomorrow's leader, leaders. Um, it's really preparing them to not just survive, but to thrive in the VUCA future. All right. Uh, uh, taking under consideration what you just uh, talked about, according to your experience, we are both aware that there are a lot of people out there that they are aware about the VUCA as a word, let's say. But uh, on the other hand, VUCA is a principle. So according yeah. to your experience, uh, how, how, um, how deep uh, you think that uh, people that are using the word are aware on what the VUCA principle is about, both the uh, VUCA 1 and 2? Well, I, I think not very aware. They're, they're aware of the, the term and maybe um, to the extent that, um, you know, what, what it means in terms of, you know, volatile, un, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. I, I think that they, they understand that. But I, I think, well, well, like everything else, Spiros, in, in leadership, it's not really the understanding of, of, of leadership or leadership practice, but as Marshall Goldsmith said, um, that's not the problem, but the practice of the understanding of it is what is critical. So, so yes, there is a, a basic understanding of, of, of the term, but what does it mean? Uh, how does it apply to my life as a leader? Um, how do I prepare for VUCA? How do I thrive in, in VUCA? Um, I, I don't think enough people are paying attention uh, to it. Um, and, and evidence of, of that really uh, is that as we would have come out of COVID and the mm -hmm. pandemic, uh, seems like we, we're sort of heading back into <laughs> another one uh, with stuff happening in China right now. But um, I, I see a lot of people and a lot of companies reverting to pre-pandemic mindsets, ideas, policies, practices. And so, so that's part of the, the, the evidence, if you want to put it that way, in terms of my, my answer, in terms of how well people uh, really understand what, what VUCA is. And, and that's why I think your, your podcast is especially critical in, in this regard. So, so I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that you uh, have this podcast. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's necessary. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. But uh, talking about, um, uh, how you call it? Um, you, you talked about, it is also on your short by, you're, you're referred to, to evidence-based. Uh, yes. So uh, taking under consideration this very nice uh, phrase, uh, I will come up with the, with the second question that is, how did you came up with uh, the behavioral hacking? Because this is okay. clever. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, well, you know, what, what I've uh, come to realize uh, and uh, is, is that when, when we look at leadership, and uh, we, we look at the leadership challenges from, from let's say, the, the employee mindset. Because I, I think if I were to back up a little bit, we, we tend to, I believe, confuse a little bit with um, leadership and management. You know, I, I saw a program the other day in terms of, of leadership, and it was really about the management of the organization. Uh, yes, we do need leadership skills, okay? So um, at the end of the day, right now in leadership and over the last few years people are uh, looking for more the, the, the human side of, of leadership okay and so we judge leadership therefore primarily not necessarily on the results that we achieve not not on the results not necessarily on on the kpis or not only on on that because even if those are great uh, and uh, um, it, it was achieved through uh, maybe bullying behavior or, you know, at the expense of staff morale and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, the world is, is now saying that, um, you know, that's no longer a tenable uh, situation to have in the organization. You know, it's affecting people's mental health, um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. so, so 
how do we then judge leadership? And it's really through what we call observed behaviors. Okay, that's that's how people judge. That's how they decide whether um, how productive they are, how engaged they are in the organization. They they observe leadership behaviors. Okay, so so. You know, everything that we have that intuition about, somebody would have started into the field already. So there, there is something called behavior in intelligence now, okay? And, and it's the new um, phase in, in leadership development. So if we look at, at a little bit of the, the history of leadership development, you will find that at, at first we were into cognitive intelligence. You know, uh, are leaders good at decision-making? Are they good at problem-solving? Those, what, what I still call management um, skills and principles, okay? That's cognitive, that's decision-making, problem-solving, strategizing, etc. okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and for over 20 years now uh, or more, we got into emotional intelligence because we said, okay, and, and we knew that 20-something years ago that the, the decision-making, the problem-solving uh, skills are great, but not they are not the only skills that, that leaders need. They, they need emotional intelligence. So we got into emotional intelligence. Uh, mm -hmm. That hasn't worked too well <laughs> um, mm -hmm. because, you know, a, a very common uh, phrase we use today in particular is, you know, the toxic leader and toxic leadership. So how is it after 20-something years of emotional intelligence that we, you know, the toxic leader... Uh, dominates, okay? And, and there are a couple of reasons for, for that, Spiro. It's very similar to what we were talking about before. Um, you know, understanding the concept of emotional intelligence does not increase one's emotional intelligence. Uh -huh. You know, knowing the definition of it, knowing, you know, what it is, knowing what emotional hijack is, knowing mm -hmm. that we have different parts of the brain, the limbic part of the brain where we feel the cerebral cortex, where, where we think, uh, yeah, yeah, we could understand that, but that doesn't do anything to improve our emotional intelligence. Okay, so, so, and 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 by the way, you know, even 20 years ago, uh, the statistic is still the same today, uh, or probably even less, where only 36% of people are able to identify their emotions in in the moment when they get triggered. They're not even aware that they're being triggered because they're operating on, on this program, okay? So in comes behavior intelligence, which is um, to be able to understand one's behavior, to be able to predict behavior, and to be able to understand uh, one's behavior is, is critical. So that the behavioral hacking, how do we change behaviors? And, and hacking is a... Um, you know, I wanted it to be an intriguing word. I, I didn't want a regular kind of status quo um, okay. title. Right. <laughs> yeah, when people interact, I, I like intrigue. And, and so that was very deliberate. So how do we change or hack behaviors? Um, and, and what I focus on primarily is not necessarily in terms of the knowledge of leadership, but uh, because that's only one aspect that can change behavior. But really, uh, what has been, been found, and this is where the, the neuroscience comes in and the evidence comes in, is that it's really our beliefs and our mindset that drives our behaviors. So, for example, if a leader be, be, believes that you know, people are naturally lazy, then that leader is going to react very differently if uh, one of his staff members come in uh, later meeting. Mm -hmm. If they have a different belief, um, so, so that manager who believes that people are lazy, they might you know, fly off the hook as the case may be. But if, if they believe um, that maybe people are, um, you know, want to do a good job, but sometimes they may not be inspired or they may be busy and they may like, maybe lack some time management skills and they're late to the meeting, well, um, cool, you know, um, I know you were busy doing um, something and that's why you're late to the meeting. So you're going to get two different reactions to someone being late to the meeting based on your belief and, and, and mindset. So behaviors are really a function of those underlying beliefs and mindset as opposed to getting new knowledge, getting new knowledge, which has been the, um, the uh, prime 
way of uh, leadership development over the last 20 years. So, so what we go into um, with my Meta B leadership technology is uh, the, the phase two is what is called drivers and origins. What drives people's behavior? What are the origins of that uh, behavior? So we get to uh, what we call the root cause of the behaviors. Uh, so, so what we observe uh, as the behaviors are what we call um, symptoms or, or symptomatic level. And, uh, um, you know, as you know, when you try to treat something at the symptomatic level, it doesn't last very long. And that's why most companies do not get the return on investment and um, leader, uh, behavior change through their leadership development programs. And uh, McKinsey uh, recently said that 70% of all leadership development programs do not, I repeat, do not result in, in behavior change because they, they, I believe that they don't tackle uh, the root cause, what's driving the behavior. Um, so we do that in our Meta B leadership technology. It's step two in the process. The first step is really, um, you know, what, what we call um, insight and uh, ownership, where we use various um, methods, it could be some assessments, some 360 feedback to get insight in terms of what are the observed behaviors, okay? Um, and that's critical to, you know, because um, when we speak about behaviors, we get more buy-in and ownership because we know change is difficult. And how do we convince a leader who may be toxic that they are, <laughs> okay? Um, and and they, they need to, you know, go through this particular program. We, we need to get ownership. And that ownership comes, I believe, part of it is speaking about the observed behaviors. Because when you speak about that, Spiros, it, it's undeniable, okay? Uh, now, if I put a label on you as being toxic or bully, one, you're going to get... Um, pushback from the person, it, you know, it's, 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 it's judgment, you, you're, you're judging me. Um, but if I said, um, you know, uh, last Thursday when John was late to the meeting, you shouted at John, that's indisputable, <laughs> right? right? Whether you are toxic or not becomes a, a, a debate, but we, there's no debate that you shouted, <laughs> okay? So that's what we call observed behaviors. And, and when we talk about that, so all the assessments that we do are very, very different from the norm um, because a lot of those tend to be very judgmental. They put labels on, on, on things, you know, bully, uh, toxic, um, you know, what, whatever labels we, we put on, on, on leaders, narcissistic, you know. Um, okay. Yeah, so, so we shy away from that and we speak about behaviors, observed mm -hmm. behaviors, because um, we, we understand that people might have different interpretations of the observed behaviors. So we get to, uh, and, and we have found when, when we talk about that, mm -hmm. um, people see a whole see the situation in, in, a, in a whole different light, you know. So I was doing a training program recently um, mm -hmm. with uh, a, a company and we were training on emotional in, intelligence. So we, we go through scenarios, real scenarios that, that they go through at, at, at work and they were uh, speaking about um, uh, with um, uh, a, a customer and the, the customer said that um, you know, my, my sale, your sales rep doesn't visit me as often. And we, we got to that eventually. But what the person said to me is that, you know, the, the customer was ill speaking the company. And I, I said, I'm sure he wasn't. <laughs> and they said, yes, he was. I said, okay, if I was a fly on the wall in that room, mm -hmm. how would I know? What would I hear? What I would, you know? And so it eventually came out that the, the guy um, did say what, what was actually said was that your sales rep, you know, don't visit me or something to that, that, that effect. Now, I said, if we listened to that and, and we took that, the conversation could have gone uh, very differently. We could have said, um, well, we have on, on record that John visits you um, once every three weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, the customer might say, well, 
well, that's not enough. You know, that's not frequent enough. The amount of business that we do with you guys and, you know, the amount of turnover that we have, we need someone to come and, and, and visit and, and see, you know, how our business is, is, is doing. Uh, oh, okay, so the real issue here is the frequency with which the guy visits. Um, what is your expectation, customer? Mm -hmm. You see, and, and that, that conversation could have gone completely different, but was that interpretation of the observed behavior versus listening really to what was actually said, okay? And, and uh, so obviously um, we were speaking about emotional hijack and, um, you know, so they were relating that that meeting uh, went, uh, you know, got heated <laughs> um, because what they thought that they heard was an accusation about the company when the mm -hmm. guy was basically stating something else but it was processed differently anyway so so that's step one which is um insights and ownership and step two is um the getting to understand the drivers and the origins and step three is what we call rewire and mapping and that's when uh, we go in into exercises that that rewires the brain actually uh, that causes the, the the person doing the program to react differently to the same trigger. So it is yeah. normally it, when someone is choosing to work with you, uh, you are using this three steps methodology that you invented. Correct? Yes. Well, it's actually five steps. Those are the the the. The first three, step four, is what we call application and, and habit. So, mm -hmm. so that's where we, we form the, the, the habit, um, which creates the new synaptic connection in, in the brain. So that new behavior becomes the new normal. And, and a simple way to explain this, Spirus, is that, you know, we, we're all programmed right now that when, if, if we're driving down the highway and the, the traffic light turns from green to red, you know, our foot we don't, right? Our foot moves <laughs> from, 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 from the gas pedal to the brake pedal. You know, we don't think about it. We don't stop to say, well, um, it just turned red. Maybe I should. No, it, it happens spontaneously, right? And 99% and of all leadership behaviors are happening spontaneously based on, on, their, on their programs, okay? Mm -hmm. so, so that's what's happening with most people, and that's why Getting new information does not necessarily change that uh, synaptic connection in, in, in the brain. But let's just say one of the, the, the side effects of uh, COVID would have been, let's say, color blindness. Okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people could no longer see the color red we're going to have a problem, <laughs> okay? We're going to have lots of accidents at, at the traffic lights. So what the authorities would have to do is that they would have to determine what would be an appropriate color that, you know, could be seen by, by most people. Mm -hmm. And let's just say they determine it's purple. We're now going to have to rewire our minds mm -hmm. such that it becomes instantaneous reaction that purple means stop, purple means stop, purple means stop. And they're going to have to bombard us with ads and, and flyers until that now becomes the new synaptic connection in the brain. Right. So previously mm -hmm. it was red means stop, now it's going to be purple means stop. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so how do we apply that to leadership behaviors in the sense that um, the same triggers are going to yield a different response? <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so, so, so the VUCA triggers, the, you know, the, um, you know, the, the change, the quick change in how we do things and the mass mandates and the, the work from home and that sort of thing, you know, no longer is going to be um, a, a stress response. Okay. Yes, it caught us off guard at first, but now we could build that resilience to be able to, um, you know, stop or, or pause between the trigger and, and the response. Okay. And, and that's what we uh, do in terms of hacking behavior so that people behave differently, but we are not um, attacking it, so to speak, from a let's give you more information, let's explain emotional intelligence, let's explain uh, what emotional resilience is. Let's uh, give you a picture of what good looks like and how you uh, respond to, to, to VUCA challenges, but understanding it doesn't mean that they're going to do it because um, it's, we, we, we are programmed to operate more or less the same way once we're over the age of 35. <laughs> we sort of respond the, the, the same way. Um, uh, we think we are hardwired. Uh, we, we're not, but if we don't change it, 
we will continue to operate on that wiring that that we have currently. All right, that's that's correct. So, as far as I can understand, by the time that you are working with uh, an executive or C-suite professional or a team member, this you are examining. This you examine is very uh, the the probe and the response procedure on an actual uh, behavior. So you take yes. into consideration the behavior, what the uh, language is that they they used and how they uh, understand or not the reactions uh, according to the other uh, people that are around. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and what we also do to to help in that process again very different from um, the typical training program. So if we do emotional intelligence, you know, it's not done over to the uh, period. It's done maybe over a month, six weeks, eight weeks um, at a time. And, and there are tools. So we created um, an emotional intelligence journal where um, they, they actually journal the, the triggers and their responses. Okay. So it's, it's very simple. The situation. So what was the situation? You know, guy was late to the meeting or person said this. How did you feel? Mm-hmm. You know, what did you think? And, you know, it, it's so simple, but yet so powerful because when they know that they have to complete this journal, they stop and think uh-huh. about how they respond before right. because they know that they're going to have to write how they responded to, to the situation. And, and even as simple as it sounds, that's changed. That's changing how they think and they process how they act, which is emotional intelligence, okay? So we need tools, we need systems, we need processes, we need application of, of these ideas, not sitting down in, in a classroom, you know, intellectually understanding emotional intelligence. It's, it's not, it, it literally has to get in, in, into the body. And, and if you permit me for, for two minutes to talk about that, um, because this is critical, because again, behaviors, uh, you know, it's, it's a body movement and what controls our body movement as if we could remember a little bit of biology, we have a central nervous system and we have a peripheral nervous system. Okay. So, so a simple example with uh, a salesman trying to make a phone call, okay, to uh, let's say a cold call. So he doesn't know what to expect, um, probably going to get a rejection. And if they're not strong enough to, to, to do that, literally, they're not able to pick up that phone and, and make a phone call. Okay. And, and we would have experienced that at some level of the, the other. It could be a girl that we wanted to call and we were scared and, you know, we just couldn't make, make the call. Okay. So when you, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's a behavior that is governed by the peripheral nervous system, if we have to type the numbers, which is governed by the central nervous system. So part of what um, our program does is create what we call nervous system flexibility. So that in the face of VUCA, that you feel safe to take some of the actions and you don't go into the typical response, which is fright, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so what is that? Flight is that we, we run away. Fight is that we fight and freeze. Well, we stop. And all of those things are behaviors, they're actions. And what controls that is our nervous system. So, so we have to program the, the body, the nervous system, to be able to feel comfortable to act in the face of VUCA, to act in the, in the face of volatility, to act still in the face of uncertainty and not just be, as, as we said, the typical responses would be flight. They, some people avoided it all, all together. Uh, meaning that sometimes their businesses closed down, they, they weren't able to deal with, with, with the pandemic. Um, some, some fought, you know, and some sort of froze. Oh. And, and those are the typical uh, re- responses of someone who has not done any work like, like, like this at, at a deeper level. So, so that's, that's where we get to what we call nervous system flexibility, where we're able, in the face of VUCA, to still um, be proactive and not go into the typical, what we call, flight or fight or freeze response. Awesome. So that, that's also unique in, in our approach to uh, VUCA leadership. Lovely. Is everyone uh, a leader or can everyone become a leader? I, I, I think so. It's a set of behaviors, as we said. And, uh, um, 
It's, it's behaviors that can be learned, it can be practiced over a period of, of, of time. And uh, um, yeah, I, I, believe, I believe so. And, uh, and that has nothing to do with one's position. And um, you know, in, in, in my book, I said, although it's called leadership, it could be for teachers, it could be for nurses, <laughs> it could be for parents. Uh, yeah, all of us could be leaders in, in that respect. All right. Um, so um, let's uh, jump uh, saying this to the next question, but is what do you think about psychometrics and uh, tests? Um, for example, do you use any of them? What is your general idea, opinion for, for those tests? And yeah, uh, I, any of them? I, I use now, I, I use a, a test, but I wouldn't put it in, into the category of psychometric tests. Mm -hmm. uh, some people might, but um, so I, I, I don't think that the typical ones give what I call rich data. OK, especially for the work that, that, that we are doing. So a couple of things, the, the, and I'll, I'll tell you what I use in, in a minute. So one of the, the, the nice things about uh, the system that I now use, I, I didn't create it. A great guy did uh, create it, okay. uh, is that one is that there are no labels. OK, mm -hmm. there are no labels because what I find in, in the typical um, other types of psychometrics, what they do is they give you a label. You know, mm -hmm. I'm an ISTJ. And, and what we have found over time is that um, as opposed to trying to understand how I might need to be for the role that I have, mm -hmm. people said, well, this is how I am. Mm -hmm. So why do you expect any other behavior? <laughs> okay. Right. So they used it to justify their behavior as opposed to change their behaviors. Okay. So when you think about any leadership intervention. Why do we have a, any leadership intervention at the end of the day? Whether it's leadership development, a psychometric assessment, whatever. Why, why do we do that? Why does HR do that? Well, at the end of the day, we are hoping for a change. <laughs> and we're hoping for a change in behavior. So we send them to the training program and they come back and we look out for changes. Okay. I mean, isn't that what we do? Yeah, right. So, so, so therefore, what I've found is that does it provide rich data to help us to change? Mm -hmm. and, and my answer to the, the typical ones out there is no, it doesn't provide that, that rich data. So, so the one that, that I use, because I'm into the, the neuroscience and the triggers and, and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. uh, the, the assessment that I, I now use um, it, it does that. It's, it's so powerful that basically it creates triggers by the questions on the survey and you respond and it tells us what's the program. So between the trigger and, and the response, there's a program. There's our mindset, there's our beliefs, our ways of thinking. Okay. So, so, so the trigger is presented via the, 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 the test or the survey as the case may be and, and they answer. And uh, what it tells us is what's in the middle. <laughs> what's, what's the mindset? What's the program? What's, what's the way of thinking? What's your, your preferences? What do you value? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it's called the AccuMatch. Uh, so it was first developed for recruitment, but it's now mm -hmm. more of a coaching and developmental tool. And uh, um, AccuMatch is so short for accurate match between what they, they needed for the job um, mm -hmm. As I said, started off as a recruitment tool, but it's a whole lot more um, than that right now. It tells us what is your current um, neurological programming with respect to various issues of, of, of leadership. So, um, and again, what, what, what I love is that it doesn't create a label. So if I were to give you a quick um, example of one of the uh, categories that is measured. So it's simple one called motives, okay? And uh, uh, there, there are three responses or, or three answers or three categories of answers. So one is control, which means that some leaders might have a, a motive to control people and control situations. Um, there's another category called affiliation. So their motive is to, to form strong relationships with people that, that, that they work with. Mm -hmm. And then there is um, um, achievement. So high achievement, 
goal, goal getting, goal achievement. Mm -hmm. and, and what we have, have worked with, uh, just to give you an, an example, um, where you might find some leaders who are high on achievement and low on, on affiliation, which say, mm -hmm. well, hey, it doesn't have to be one or the other, which is what the typical psychometric says. Well, you're either more goal-oriented or you're people-oriented. And this one says, no, right now you might be more goal-oriented, but you can be goal-oriented and people-oriented. So now we could craft a specific coaching program to help you develop that people orientation because the, 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 the map, uh, we, we call it the map, it produces a map, a behavioral intelligence map, tells us how you, you know, where the, the, the growth areas are, where the potential blind spots are. You know, if you use the Johari window, we have blind spots, mm -hmm. things that other people observe about us that we don't know about ourselves. And then we also have the unknown area that we absolutely don't know about ourselves and, and people don't know. So, so that's what I think about the, 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 the psychometrics, the typical ones out there not really rich data to create behavior change um, as we said you know as everything evolves there are new ones on, on the market uh, I've been very fortunate to find one that I use and uh, the clients find the, the level of accuracy that paints the current picture um, is is very high and as I said but we don't use it to say it's it's a label that's how you are and we work around that. We said, no, that's how you are. But this is what the job entails. That's what, this is what the job requires, <laughs> okay? So how, where, where are the gaps and how are we going to close those, those gaps versus, well, this is how I am, you know, work around me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the leader, accept me for who I am. Um, you know, and, and, and there was a leader who, who said that and I said, well, what if one of your staff, what if, what if you required one of your staff members to make a change and they said to you, well, wh why? You know, just accept me. This is how I am. <laughs> you know, you, you wouldn't like that, would you? Right. So, so when a leader says that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good thing. And, and as I said, I, I think some of the, um, the, the, the psychometrics and more so how it is used, um, a lot of people use it to, to justify their behavior and therefore maintain the status quo. Amazing, amazing. So many and uh, great uh, information. So talking VUCA, yeah. I would like to kindly ask you to share um, your most uh, difficult time working with uh, C-suite professionals uh, during your uh, career. Um, well, I think it's happening right now. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I have a team of 14 executives in, in, in a company. And, um, you know, it's a quasi-governmental organization. So the, the mindset that we speak about is that I have a job for life, um, regardless of, of my performance. <laughs> okay. So, so now I'm challenged to, to, to push uh, people who have been in, in a system for over 20 years to, um, to even admit that there is room for development. Um, and yeah, so, so that's why, you know, I talk about my five-step process in, in Meta B. Um, in, in this particular um, assignment, I spent a very, very long time on step one, which is insights and, and ownership in terms of um, yeah, accepting that I do have areas of development. I, I do have areas of growth. There are things that I'm uh, not good at or things that, uh, or behaviors that I might exhibit that are not consistent with good leadership and what the organization re re requires, right? So, so it's not only one, it's 14 and, and they're all very different. Um, in terms of, of, of their mindsets. And, and this is difficult because, um, but, but I loved it, the, the challenge. So, so for example, um, you know, everyone wants team camaraderie, for example. Okay, mm -hmm. so, um, but if a, a leader has a mindset or belief that I, it's best to separate work from personal, okay? Mm -hmm. They may have a belief. So mm -hmm. they may come to the workplace and it's like, I don't need to be your friend, Spiros. <laughs> I don't need to really talk to you about uh, or develop a relationship. This is just work. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so they're coming to the work environment with that belief is that they would have gotten from somewhere or the other, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. a bad experience, maybe their, their parents worked in an, uh, in an environment where, you know, they may have felt betrayed by a coworker who they thought that they, they were their, their friends and they may have been betrayed or something. So they, they took a stance that, um, you know, we're not going to mix those two together. Okay, and with that belief, there may be various interpretations of how one would behave based on, on, on that. So imagine now that person operating in, in a team environment where, let's say, the leader or the, or the organization wants to build camaraderie. <laughs> how is that going to happen with, with that individual? Okay, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. Okay, um, what if uh, the, the top leader wants the team to be more assertive mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, there's a belief by um, one or two members that um, the best way to deal with conflict is to avoid okay um, if, if they have that conflict style or belief well let's leave it alone you know that is not going to augur well for a, a culture that promotes assertiveness in conflict and understanding that anytime you go you, you have two individuals you're going to have different belief systems different mindsets different viewpoints and you're going to have conflict but it doesn't have to be a fight <laughs> you know conflict doesn't equal fight um, so so working through those mindset spheres and changing those from you know separating work and personal and what does it mean and you know how could we you know be personable without being personal with people Ooh, that was a new concept, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, I, I could say hi and ask how your kids without really being your friend. It's just that I care as an individual and I know that's important to you. I, I could ask that, but that doesn't mean that I'm your friend and I'm mixing work and, and personal. So, yeah, so, so those are some of the, you know, the, the, the real challenges that I'm, I'm dealing with because it's all down to their beliefs and mindset um, and how that... Uh, aligns with what the organization is trying to achieve, what culture do they, they want in the organization. And basically culture is a, a set of behaviors, right? Uh, if everyone behaves a particular way, there's a culture, okay? And that's why behavior intelligence is, is so critical. So, so yeah, it's, it's, I believe it's happening right now professionally. <laughs> uh, hope you, hope uh, all the best and uh, for great results with uh, what you are trying to achieve there. Uh, this definitely, um, hard work, uh, but I'm sure according to uh, the time that I know you and the, the things that I have heard you're trying to accomplish that uh, it will be a great success uh, at the end of the day. Uh, yeah. Let me uh, ask you about the, about the book. Uh, you refer to your book that it is the future uh, ready leadership, correct? Yeah. So yes. when you, did you decide to, to start uh, to, to write that book and when did you finish the what is it in there? Why is yeah. <laughs> it good for someone to have it uh, in his okay. own Great. Well, um, December 2019 is when I did that keynote speech that I told you at, at, at the top of the podcast. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, so I had a slide deck of about 30-something uh, slides. Mm -hmm. And uh, as soon as the, the pandemic sort of went into full bloom in, in March 2020, I was like, okay, more people need to these these strategies that I had had laid out, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so what I did is I turned the, the slides into a book, <laughs> okay, and uh, um, so it took me about three months. I, I I worked with someone who who helped me to to, to extrapolate from this, the, the the slides and understand my thinking and and, and my mindset. Um, in there. So, so a couple of things. So yeah, it was published in, in June 2020 and literally in three months, written and published in, in, in three months because I had the, um, the, the material down. And um, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a DIY coaching mm -hmm. kind of book, meaning that it's not a bunch of theory. There are loads and loads of exercises in, in there, uh, boxes to complete. So you're literally, you know, coaching yourself to be a future-ready leader. There, there are loads of questions. But, but generally, in terms of some of, some of the, the topics that are there, so, so strategy number one is, um, you know, what we call slow down to speed up, mm -hmm. uh, making time to 
to be better because the VUCA environment causes people to just be running around like headless chickens trying to get things done and busy being busy. So we said the first step is that you're going to have to learn how to slow down in order to speed up, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and some tips and some tricks and some pointers and some exercises to put, you know, slow down, to step back a little bit so that, you know, sort of what one of my former bosses used to say, you know, get into the helicopter, you know, because when, you, when you're in the helicopter, when you're down in, in the forest, you know, you, you, you can't see where you're going. Okay, uh, and this is what is happening is everybody is down in, in the forest. But if you up in, in the helicopter, you, you can see the path that you need to take to get to your destination. Okay, so that's sort of the concept of, um, you know, uh, strategy number one. Strategy number two is it, it's called uh, have vision, be significant. And if we now understand who is coming into, into the workplace, the, the, you know, the millennials, etc., cetera, um, success is going to be measured differently. It's going to be measured by significance. So that's why I said be significant. And here we encourage people and leaders to be significant in the lives of their employees, their staff, their customers, their clients, their wider society. So how could you align your vision um, that is, and, and be significant in, in the world. It's very akin, I guess, to, you know, purpose and profits uh, discussion has been happening or conscious capitalism. It's, it's a spin, spin on, on that. Uh, uh, strategy number three is about, you know, learn, uh, implement, and unlearn agility. So mm -hmm. learn, implement, unlearn, because uh, with, with the speed of change, what worked three years ago may not work today. So the ability and the agility to unlearn something that we had to learn because it was applicable three years ago, it was relevant three years ago, well, may, it may not be now. We have to unlearn that, okay? So how quickly we do that is, is critical. Uh, strategy number four is called entrepreneurship with, with an I, which is saying that, you know, if you look at over the last 10, 12 years with the advent of... Uh, companies like Airbnb and um, that kind of thing, where basically they were able to, to challenge the, the, the big corporations in, in those industries, literally starting from a, a, a garage, you know, because they were able to, to spot a problem, a little problem mm -hmm. that the big guys weren't, weren't seeing. And that's what entrepreneurship is. And that's what business is, to be able to identify a problem and solve it. And I think that organizations now need to have that within their corporate structure, that you have people thinking like an entrepreneurs within the corporate in environment. So, so that's what you know, strategy number four is. Strategy number five is, uh, we call it self-disrupt. Uh, do it before it's done to you. So we encourage people to disrupt yourself, disrupt your organization, disrupt your industry because VUCA is going to disrupt it for you. So whether you, you're going to be disrupted or you first disrupt, so we first, uh, we, we suggested people that you first want to disrupt, <laughs> you know, starting with yourself as opposed to being disrupted because you will be uh, with, with the VUCA in, environment. Uh, Strategy number six, we call it the new ages of collaboration. And that's really about the, the ability to work with anyone in any um, time zone, um, you know, working with whoever, whenever, wherever. Okay. Um, and that came in um, a lot because at the same time of the pandemic, you had, you know, things like the Black Lives Matter and that sort of thing. So when we say work with whoever, we, we're talking about... Um, diversity, inclusion, um, you know, that sort of thing, the ability to work with, as you said, whoever, <laughs> you know, whenever, wherever. So how do we, and there are some beautiful exercises in there, Spiracin. there's one that, that I love called de-labeling, because oh. it's how the brain works is, is that, you know, we, we see someone and we immediately give them a label, okay? And we believe that that's how they are, based on, on that label that we have in, in our minds, okay? Mm -hmm. And what that does, it prevents us to, from really seeing the individual and what they may have, have to offer. So, so we have an exercise called de-labeling, mm -hmm. um, which, which is powerful. Uh, chapter seven is about emotional resilience, and that's, that's critical in, in, in a VUCA in, environment. And uh, chapter eight is about um, intuition. So we have instinct, we have intellect, and we have intuition, the three eyes.
right? And what we are saying is that intellect is all over the place. (laughs) We have intelligent people, we have knowledge, we have information, but we all as human beings have this power of intuition, Mm -hmm. which is like, and, and how I put it across is like, imagine coming up with a solution that is absolutely perfect, that is absolutely right, because it's coming from a higher power, so to speak. Mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as a leader. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, one of the, the examples that I cite is, you know, I, I mentioned Steve Jobs before is that, you know, he was able, and, and I, I, don't, I don't think that there are too many people walking around the planet, um, mm-hmm. you know, with a, a mobile phone that still has knobs on it, right? But um, when Steve Jobs uh, envisioned that, even his best technical people and engineers thought it was impossible. Okay, so so what it is, is intuition is a, a higher power in us processing the same data. All right. But in a different way, using, a, it's almost like processing data with a higher speed computer, so to speak, mm-hmm. that you're going to get a faster result, you're going to get a better result, you're going to get a more accurate result than processing it with our intellect. So you still need the data, you still need intellect, but the intuition processes that data to come out with uh, what most other people who operate in the intellect will, will not come up with. And, and I, I think, again, we, we need, and that's the key to innovation and creativity and, and stuff like that, that, that we're speaking about, that, that we could tap into that. And I believe that the, the, the leaders that we, that we revere, I think I, it's safe to say that most of them have <coughs> intuition. And it's something just like a muscle; it could be developed. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Where someone can uh, find your book? Um, well, it's it's on my website, uh, shaneram.com/frl. So frl for future ready leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so so not only the, the the book is available there, but it tells us that um, you know we have an entire program. So we took the book and created a program to create future-ready leaders in, in organizations. So um, there, there's the book, there's a program, there's a keynote speech that we deliver on, on that. So it's like an accordion. We, we could make it as a 45-minute speech. We could, you know, a few hours read in a book or a three, four-day program to Excellent. create future-ready leaders. Excellent. So uh, Shane, that was uh, an amazing episode. So great insights and so nice and beautiful learning points. Thank you very, very much for uh, being here, for accepting the invitation to support what we're trying to accomplish with this VUCA Leadership Podcast that uh, definitely is to increase the awareness uh, around the principle of uh, VUCA, both one and two, including uh, also the bunny. Thank you uh, very, very much. And uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to to the next ones. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the opportunity to to share this with us. I I really appreciate it. And uh, all the best with this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this was Shane Ram. Mm -hmm.